Welcome to New Idea Live. The morning of Saturday, October 7th, I was horrified at the news coming from Israel, much like the rest of people that I know. And as I learned more about the attacks and how Hamas terrorists crossed the border to Israel to perpetrate these attacks, and being familiar with the discourse around immigration in America, I asked myself, how long is it going to take for some people to dishonestly use these horrific attacks to call for closing the borders in the United States? And sadly, it did not take long. But the question is, is there anything to this comparison? Is this comparison meaningful at all between what happened in Israel and what is go going on in the US with the border? And even before the Hamas terrorist attacks, people had been saying that the dire situation at the southern border constitutes an invasion to America. Is there any truth to, any, to this claim? We will be discussing this today in this New Idea Live episode. I'm Agustina Vergara-Sid and with me is Ben Bayer. Hey, Ben. Hi, Agustina. So let's start with some facts and by addressing the the dire situation that we have at the border, because, you know, these people that make this sort of claim, they say the situation at the border is completely unsustainable. And that is actually true. I completely agree with that. We completely agree with that. It is uh, the illegal immigration that is happening through the southern border is close to record high. So we had almost 2.5 million encounters at the border in fiscal year 23, according to CBP. And this means that these are migrants that are caught entering the U.S. without authorization, meaning illegal immigration. And in September 2023, there were over uh, 18,000 people in custody when the capacity is 21,000. And at the border, we see real, we, we are seeing, it's true that we're seeing chaos. We see this massive influx of people which, you know, the U.S. has historically been receiving immigrants and large and large numbers of immigrants. But what's training uh, the resources and everything right now is the large numbers of people coming at the same time. Uh, so that means that organizations that, uh, that are at the border and charities that are trying to help migrants, uh, you know, get settled and get refuge and get a place to sleep, they cannot handle the influx of migrants, and they cannot really help the large number of them that are coming through the border. And we've seen in the news, Ben, you know, all these migrants in New York and in Chicago and all these other like cities that are not at the border. And what we're seeing is that, you know, they are, uh, we see the situation in New York City where people are at, at, at the Roosevelt Hotel and the, the government is providing some, some refuge for them. But the problem is that the influx is so large that, well, first of all, they are not allowed to work. So that is an issue when it comes to how are they going to sustain themselves, right? So they have to rely on welfare, unfortunately. Uh, but also what part of the problem is we have so many, there are so many work applications in the, in the, in the system uh, for, for immigrants and temporary workers and all of that, that the system is completely collapsed and backlogged. So these permits are taking a really long time. But we're seeing that 
it is really the situation is very dire with the large number of people that are coming through the border it's the situation is dire both at the border specifically and especially at the border but also in other cities where uh, for reasons that should deserve that deserve its own podcast cities where migrants are being uh, shipped to and taken to yeah there's there's no question that it's a bad situation i'm here in texas and we probably get more news about this than than the rest of the country uh and it's it's always in the news and has been increasingly so for the last year or so uh, and i think part of that is due to the end of covid part of it is due to the change of administrations and their different policies uh part of it is due to different uh facts on the ground in latin america where most of the refugees are coming from but this mass influx of people uh is definitely a kind of crisis you might call it a humanitarian crisis a civil social uh crisis uh and it has an impact on people's lives not just on the lives of the refugees but on the lives of american citizens so there have yeah. been uh in just in 2023 something like 30,000 search and rescue operations launched by the American authorities to save people who are in dire situations because they're out in the desert, they're uh, you know, deprived of food and shelter and, and water. Uh, they're often packed into small places that are uh, where they're trying to go over the border. Uh, 37,000 people uh, 37,000 operations. That's, by the way, up from 4,900 in 2019. That's according to Customs and Border Patrol. Uh, we don't have data about mortality from 2023, but the most recent statistic I was able to find was from 2021, when around 151 people died on the border. Now, th this is almost entirely the refugees who are coming across. But the problem isn't just for the refugees who are uh, in, in mortal peril. It it has an effect on the lives of the Americans who live in the border region. Many migrants, when they cross the border, are trespassing uh, on private property, which uh, the residents have the right to you know, be secure in, damaging their property. Uh, that's a problem. There are also dangerous car chases. This is something I, I just learned about this week while studying this in, in greater detail, that uh, when when Customs and Border Patrol and other law enforcement agencies are trying to detain illegal aliens, a lot of them run for it. Uh, and in certain parts of Texas, there's four or five of these car chases a week, uh, threatening the safety of passersby. Uh, they often then get out and run, running across property and so forth. So uh, it's not a safe situation when you have this mass of humanity uh, flooding into one very narrow geographical region uh, in a given moment. Uh, one last statistic here, also something that I got from Customs and Border Patrol. Uh, in 2023, there have been 20,000 criminal arrests of non-citizens at the border. Now, you have to keep in mind that 45% of those are uh, people who are being arrested for re-entry, criminal re-entry. So immigration, trying to do it a second time, counts as a felony charge. Uh, so, But if you leave that aside, the, a big chunk of the remaining criminal arrests are still for ordinary crimes, but 24% of them are crimes against life and property. Like uh, uh, most of them are property crimes, uh, robbery, uh, vandalism, things like that. A small number are uh, for more violent offenses. But one way or the other, 
it is, I think, uncontroversial. There's nothing to be argued about. And nobody really disputes it. I mean, some of the statistics today I mentioned I got from the New York Times. Uh, nobody disputes that there is this crisis at the border. The question is, how do we understand it? How do we conceptualize it? And how do we solve it both in the short term and the long term? And if we want a serious solution to this problem, we have to think clearly about it. And that's why it matters that we conceptualize it properly and think about the way that our uh, today's political culture is conceptualizing it. And Augustina, uh, I think we're now going to uh, give some examples of, of how current politicians are conceptualizing it. Right. I, uh, I think that the way that our big politicians are conceptualizing this is really unhelpful because they, this is exactly how not to think about this sort of issue. Uh, by lumping everything uh, together, uh, the several problems and several claims into one big umbrella of immigration. So we have a clip by uh, uh, with uh, DeSantis talking about this recently. If watching what happened in Israel doesn't cause you to worry about our own country with our own open border, then I don't know what will. Fact is, we've had over 7 million people pour into this country illegally just since January of 2021. We know there have been people from China, Iran, Russia, other places in the Middle East. There have been people on the terrorist watch list that have come across, uh, people that are part of drug cartels, people that are criminal aliens, you name it. And I said this before the Israel attacks that there will be, and I don't want this to happen, but just the math suggests that there will be in this country at some point a terrorist attack that will be able to link back to somebody that came across the open southern border. So when I'm president, I'm going to treat the southern border like the national security issue that it is. We're going to declare it a national emergency on day one. We're going to mobilize all available resources, including our U.S. military, uh, to stop the invasion from coming into our country. And my policy is going to be very simple. People that come into this country illegally, the appropriate sanction is to send them back to their home country. That's what you have to be willing to do. like okay, half so, a dozen different claims that he makes in there, which I think most of which we're going to talk about today, uh, and we're going to take them one by one. So, Augustina, one of the things that he does here is, is to compare uh, America's border situation to the event that just transpired between Hamas and Israel. Do you have uh, thoughts on this comparison? Yeah, so, so like you said, this is exactly not how to think about this, lumping everything together. And DeSantis has been, like, DeSantis is not the only one that does this, unfortunately. But this is the way that a lot of people are thinking about immigration. They're lumping all these things together as if it was all an issue of immigration. People crossing, uh, an alleged invasion, uh, cartels. Terrorists, like everything is lumped together under this this umbrella, and it's really unclear how we if that if these things are different the, uh, separate issues or not, or how to address them. So, uh, I wanna like I just said, DeSantis is not the only one that does this. There's a lot of people, unfortunately, that are doing this, and really high profile people like DeSantis, DeSantis uh, himself. But we have, for instance, a, a post on on a social media platform by uh, Donald Trump shortly after the terrorist attacks in Israel, Trump said, the same people that raided Israel are pouring into our once beautiful USA. 
through our totally open southern border at record numbers? Are they planning an attack within our country? Crooked Joe Biden and his boss, Barack Hussein Obama, did this to us. So what to make of this? Well, my first reaction when I saw this is, as someone that is very in tune with what the immigration debate is like and, and how people that, are, that want to severely cut immigration talk, this is essentially to me extreme like fear mongering. And this is trying to stoke, stoke fear of immigrants and fear of, um, uh, of a, an alleged terrorist attack happening here. And we will address those claims in a second. But what evidence does Trump have to make this really, really bold claim that the same people uh, causing terror in Israel are crossing the, the southern border. So Hamas members are crossing the southern border. Well, the evidence that Trump had for this was zero. Even the Department of Homeland Security says there is absolutely nothing to back up this claim. There are no known, no known uh, Hamas terrorists crossing, crossing the southern border. And one thing that also um, uh, that Trump says here and that DeSantis said in the video that we saw earlier is, you know, we have this totally open southern border and, you know, people just come in at will. Well, that is not true. And like also, if you take into account this comparison that they're doing with Israel, neither the United States nor Israel have an open border. So if you think about it in terms of the United States, you know, it is curious to me how people keep saying that we have an open border while simultaneously you know, linking to stories or showing pictures of people being detained or families being caught in concertina wire or citing the numbers of detentions and encounters, because that is exactly the opposite of an open border. That is a closed border. If we had an open border, we wouldn't see all these encounters and detentions, and there wouldn't be illegal immigration by definition if we had a, an open border, right? But there are also several differences between the U.S. border and the border in Israel. So what is really crucial to understand and contextualize like the differences between the US and Israel? So Israel is, uh, it has been historically written with conflict, right? Border countries, the countries around Israel wanted to disappear. Uh, they try to enter Israel, they send rockets to Israel, they send terrorists across the border. They want to eliminate uh, the people of Israel, as it has been made extremely clear in the last few weeks. So these people crossing the border of Israel, they're not trying to immigrate to Israel. They're trying to get in, into Israel to commit crimes, to terrorize Israeli citizens. And these citizens routinely hire, uh, hide in shelter, uh, in bomb shelters, because of the danger that, that the border countries represent to, to Israel. That is not the case in the United States. The risk of dying in a terrorist attack in Israel is very, very high because of the circumstances and the context in Israel. But what is, what is so radically different with the US is the United States is not a conflict with either of its neighbors, right? So what do we have at the border? We have people trying to cross illegally to live and work here in America. And, but we also, of course, have a lot of criminal activity. We have drugs, we have human trafficking, we have other type of criminal activity. That criminal activity that is created by the prohibition to immigrate 
here because every prohibition creates or almost every provision creates a black market and also the war on drugs, which we will discuss uh, later as well. But also just to put in, in contrast like this difference between you, the US border and Israel, in the, in the US, the risk of dying in a, in a terrorist attack is very, very low. It's about one in uh, uh, 3.6 million. Some people say it's a little bit, even a little bit less of a risk. Um, in Israel, it's 30 times greater the risk than in the United States. So these are borders that are, these are situations and countries that are absolutely different uh, in the context that they exist right now, but also historically. Yeah, Augustina, you mentioned at the top of your comments on this that Trump's remarks were fear-mongering. And I think it's important to understand what that means. It doesn't mean that we should never be afraid of anything in the world. Uh, when there are real dangers that we have evidence for, there is such a thing as rational fear. And we should take measures to oppose those dangerous things that we have rational fear for. Fear-mongering is when you conjure up fear without that evidence. And I think that's exactly what he's doing for the reason that you mentioned. And one of the things that makes it so problematic is that there really are things in this world that we should be afraid of. There are real dangers. And the sort of element of truth uh, to what uh, Trump and DeSantis are saying is that after what happened in Israel, after the attack by Hamas, that is a very fearful thing. There is a really dangerous situation, dangerous for Israel and dangerous for the United States based on how we allow Israel to respond to it and how we deal with some actually similar threats that we face in this world. And the problem with fear-mongering with regard to the border is precisely that it evades what the real dangers in the world are. And as bad as things are at the border, the people who are trying to draw a comparison between what Hamas did to Israel and the migrants coming across the border with Mexico, what that comparison so trivializes what happened in Israel that any Israeli who's dealing with the reality of the war that's now being fought there, who's dealing with you know, having lost loved ones who's dealing with uh, missiles, rockets raining down on them from, from Gaza, should find this comparison so manifestly offensive uh, that they should completely tune out the American politicians who are making it. And I think also even question uh, whatever allegiance these politicians profess to have in favor of the cause of Israel, because they're so shamelessly exploiting this baseless comparison simply to score political points at home and to gin up sensationalist fear that they're clearly not that serious about the real danger that Israelis face and that Americans face from actual Islamic terrorists, not at the border with Mexico, but uh, in the places where they actually threaten us, uh, in, in the cities of America, where, that have been attacked in the past because, and this is something we'll talk about later, because the lingering desks and dens and nests of terrorists uh, have not been disbanded overseas. But having said that, I should also mention, once I'm done being outraged about the comparison, 
I then start laughing about the comparison uh, because it's, it's so ridiculous to say that what happened between Hamas and Israel is in any way comparable for some of the reasons that you mentioned, uh, especially the point, the idea that, that we're supposed to take this as a data point of the problem with an open border. The border between Gaza and Israel is probably the most closed border in the world, maybe leaving aside the one between North Korea and South Korea, the demilitarized zone. Uh, it's heavily fortified, constantly monitored by Israeli intelligence. It's also, by the way, a very small border, only about 37 miles. And so theoretically should be relatively easy to contain and defend against. But notice how this attack happened in spite of the fact that it's one of the most heavily guarded borders in the, in the world and also so tiny. And so to say, oh, we should, we should do something similar to what they have in Israel here. We should close it down as much as they have in Gaza uh, along a, 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 mile, a, a border that's 1,900 miles long. There's just no comparison. Like if they can't stop terrorists from coming in on the border with Gaza, no, no amount of security on the border with Mexico is going to help, not if they want to kill us. Uh, and while it's a, it's a problem we should worry about, this is, the, is you know, way down on the list of solutions that we should be trying uh, to use to address this problem. Now, there are those who will say, okay, even if uh, the scale of the problem at the Mexican border isn't close, to the, the, the nature of the problem that Israel's been dealing with. Isn't there still some kind of comparison in principle? Uh, and well, you, it depends on what the principle is you're talking about. So there are national security questions at the border, to be sure. Is it an invasion? Um, the subject of our episode, well, do a quick Google search on the definition of invasion. The first uh, definition that pops up is an instance of an invading of invading a country or a region with an armed force. Sorry, that's just not what happened at the border. The migrants are not systemically murdering, raping American citizens, taking them back as hostages uh, to their homeland to use as human shields. When the Mexicans start doing that, we can have a conversation about an invasion. Fortunately, they haven't started doing that yet. Now, you could, if you, if you really want to rationalize this claim that there's a border, you can dig further into the definitions of invasion that are given. And one that comes up on Google is an incursion by a large number of people or things into a place or sphere of activity. Okay, by the secondary definition, it's an invasion. It's also a metaphorical definition, which you can see from the example that's given in that entry. Stadium guards are preparing for another invasion of fans. Um, I don't think that the invasion of fans that happens in stadiums warrants putting up uh, uh, high security fences. So yes, there's a large number of people coming over the border. The question is, how do we understand that? It's fine as a metaphor if you want to use that, but then don't use it in the same sentence or thought uh, where you're thinking about Israel, because there they're not just dealing with a metaphorical invasion. They're dealing with a very real and very menacing invasion, and again, uh, the, the comparison should be taken, I think, by Israelis as offensive. So yes, there's a large number of people coming over the border. Um, there's a problem with it, and it's perhaps even a national security problem. But how are we going to conceptualize this problem? And 
what kind of threat do any of these people pose? Let's let's dig further into that question. Yeah, let me say something else, Ben. Uh, I think what happened with Israel and what actually also happened in, in Ukraine, I think what should have happened is people should have said, oh, okay, this is an invasion. What is happening at the southern border is definitely not an invasion because those are things that are so different uh, with the Russian, Russian troops invading, literally invading Ukraine, uh, murdering their, the Ukrainian citizens and Hamas coming to Israel to absolutely terrorize Israelis. That what should have, what these leaders should have said or thought at least was, okay, now that is an invasion by comparison, like what, what is going on at the border? Okay, it's nothing like this other thing. So that should have been, you know, the conclusion that people reached, but unfortunately they reached exactly the opposite conclusion. Um, so, okay, but what is, uh, what is there to say about these claims that people on the terrorist watch list are coming over to, to America? Part of what DeSantis was talking about earlier in the video and what Trump was talking about too. So this, this issue of the terrorist watch list, it, it's actually an older issue, but it has regained some popularity recently, even before, shortly before the uh, Hamas terrorists in Israel. But it's important to put this claim um, of the southern border being like this hub for terrorist activity or for terrorist crossing into a little bit of context. And here there is a lot of information that is important to highlight. And I would like to direct our audience to the work that the Cato Institute is doing on this issue. They have really complete um, uh, information and data on this. So if you want to dig deeper into that, please look it up. You can look up Alex Norasta's testimony in front of Congress that happened a couple months ago. But the truth is, so by uh, the way that people are talking about this, you would think, okay, this is a huge threat because they are really sounding the alarms and this is, you know, something that routinely happens and it's something that is really, really big. But the truth is that the data show that no Americans have ever died or been injured in terrorist attacks committed by illegal uh, border crossers. Actually, it's the data available from 1975. And then people like to bring up, you know, 9-11. But the terrorists that perpetrated 9-11 were not migrants. They were in the US on visitor visas and they were here legally. It was it's a whole other conversation, but it was a failure of intelligence in the United States. So that is the truth. There, there have been no uh, Americans died or injured in attacks committed by someone that, that crossed the border illegally. But from, you know, how people are talking about it, you would think it, it's something that, you know, happened and it's an actual thing that routinely happens. What about all these watch list apprehensions? So um, the Customs and Border uh, Patrol publishes statistics on the number of encounters of um, uh, non-U.S. citizens that are... Um, and like, so these people that are encountered by CBP, Customs and Border Patrol, are screened uh, through the terrorism screening database. So this is what people are talking about. All these hits on the terrorist screening database is, is what people are talking about when they're saying that uh, people are coming over from the terrorist watch list. But 
the reality is that all these hits on the terrorism screening database the database aren't all uh, known or even suspected terrorists. And again, I would like to direct people to the work that Cato is doing on this, but this, this list doesn't mean that people are, that there are actual terrorists being crossing the border. That is why we don't see any prosecutions related to terrorism for these migrants that are crossing the border. And there are several reasons why this is the case, including the fact that this list yields many false positives. And these false positives have, have been known to exist in, the, in this database. But also this database includes uh, known terrorists, meaning people that are actually considered terrorists, but also suspected terrorists. And the definition of suspected terrorist includes having potential ties to or links to uh, activities related to terrorism. And the reality is that a lot of people are added to this list that shouldn't be there because of the uh, open-endedness of this, of this definition. Uh, so I am not dismissing the fact that this list should exist or not. Okay, but the fact that we are saying that, that people are saying, oh, you know, we had all these people that, that uh, were a positive for the terrorist watch list crossing the border. Well, we have to put it into context to understand what the threat really is. And the fact is that none of these people have been known to be actual terrorists. Like there have been no prosecutions related to terrorism for any of these migrants. So it is, this is not a thing, uh, terrorists crossing the border is not a thing that actually happens routinely. And this claim is blown out of proportion as if it were this huge threat, this huge thing that happens routinely and all the time when it is not. Yeah, I think you're right that it's it's really important to put this data into context. And uh, one thing to keep in mind is that it's it's not like we're saying here that being on a list of suspected terrorists is irrelevant. It is something government should be uh, paying attention to. And if the numbers of people who are suspected of ties to terrorism is going up uh, in in the general population, but also at the border, then it's something to be alarmed about. It's something to be investigated. And in fact, it, if you look at the numbers from this year, there have been 169 people on this TSDS, Terrorist Screening Database System, watch list uh, apprehended at the border in 2023, 169. Uh, that's as opposed to only three of them three years ago. So there have, there's been a large increase in the number of them uh, in the last few years. But you should keep in mind at the same time, that's 169 people out of 2.4 million uh, who are apprehended at the border. So that's about 0.006%. 0.006% of them. And to lend some reality to that number, uh, that's 169 people out of about 800,000 total entries. It's probably a little more than that. The most recent data I was able to find uh, was from 2014. That's the last time anybody testified in Congress about how many people were on this list, 800,000 people on this list in 2014. Now, one thing to know about the TSDS is that it is not the same thing as the no-fly list that you may be more familiar with, the terrorist watch list that stops you from getting on an airplane. Only about 8%, again, this is according to that same congressional testimony in 2014, only about 8% of the 800,000 people on the TSDS go mm -hmm. onto the no-fly list. 
That means there are lots of people on the TSDS who are knowingly being allowed to fly on domestic airlines in this country, citizens who are being allowed to fly in this country who are on that list. And while we're on the subject of citizens, did you know that there are 600, there are 6,400 American citizens uh, who are, uh, sorry, not 6,400, but uh, yeah, 6,400 who are, who are citizens or permanent legal residents who are on that same list compared to the 169 who they're apprehending at the border. 6,400 out of 800,000 total entries is 0.08%, which is uh, several orders of magnitude higher than the ones who are coming from the border. So there's, we're already surrounded by people on the TSDB. Uh, uh, there's more, a higher percentage of them that we're living with than are coming over the border. So again, that doesn't mean that it isn't a problem that there are more of them coming over the border than there used to be. It's something that our, uh, that the Customs and Border Patrol should definitely be on the lookout for. But when you consider that these are people who would otherwise, most of them, still be allowed to fly on a domestic airline, it does not count as evidence of an invasion. Yes, uh, absolutely, Ben. But there is another claim that um, that people like to rely on to allegedly support the invasion charge. And it's that people crossing the border, or most people crossing the border, are of military age. So what is there anything to this claim? What does it mean that people are, you know, of the there are adult males that are crossing the border? Okay. Yes, it's true that most migrants or many migrants are adult males. And what does it tell us? Well, it doesn't tell us much, but what we can say is that these these men are coming to America seeking to, you know, to work and establish themselves and they come alone either because they're very young, military age, or um, they are trying to settle and then bring their families, which is a practice that many, many immigrants or migrants have done always, even legal and illegal in all parts of the world, like sending one of the parents of the, of the family to uh, to the new place to, to see if there are job opportunities, if they can settle and then bring in the family over. But also it's interesting because it, it's sort of like the same people that uh, say, okay, they're mostly of military age, you know, are the ones that are also showing all these images and criticizing uh, entire families crossing the border, which we have seen so many families with children crossing the border. But the fact that these, that there's so many uh, male adults crossing the border says nothing about what their intentions might be in the United States. They come here with nothing but their backpacks. They are not armed. Like if you see the pictures of the, you know, I've seen videos of people, uh, of these men crossing the border and, you know, the, claim, the claims, okay, this is, you know, these adult males, but you see them with just the clothes they have on their back and a little backpack. They are not armed. And there's like a whole, uh, it's important to know that most of them are not by definition illegal immigrants because they've been paroled in the United States in, in many cases, meaning they have been legally admitted and they are still, you know, called illegal immigrants and, you know, trying to, to ascribe nefarious intentions to them. But in reality, this does not say absolutely anything 
the fact the age and the gender of, of, of the migrants says absolutely nothing about the intentions that they may have in the United States. Yeah, I mean, we should be equally concerned about all the politicians of military age who are running for office. They might really be part of a, an invasion. I mean, this is, I said before when I was reacting to the comparison to Israel that, you know, most of it I was just outraged by, but part of it I wanted to laugh at. And for this one, I can only laugh. It's just such a stupid stretch. There's no better way to put it. The, the people who bring in the language of military age is just stupid. Uh, military age in the United States, as far as I understand, is 17 to 35. These are people who are eligible to enlist in the armed forces if they want to. It would be shocking if you had 2.4 million people, uh, who most of whom or many of whom weren't between the ages of 17 and 35. If you just go by the statistics, you see me laughing at this point. It's such an obvious, obvious attempt uh, at political spin to try to turn a complete triviality into something that is sensationalistic and that people can sink their teeth into as, as political red meat. It, it, it reminds me of a, of a mayoral race in a city I used to live in where one of the attack ads accused one of the mayoral candidates of being a criminal lawyer uh, because she was a criminal defense attorney. Uh, so you've got that same word in there, criminal, and it makes it sound bad. It's about the same level of crudity as this military age charge is. Like, I think the, the number of people, the increasing number of people on the terrorist screening database is a way more serious claim by comparison to this. And that was already problematic. This is just a joke. Yeah, and I'll add, like, I know uh, a few immigration advocates that their reaction would to, to you know, this claim, oh, they're of military age, they would be, Fantastic. Great. Let's give them permanent residency and enlist them in the military because we don't have enough people in the military at this point because Americans don't want to do it. And there are other reasons for this crisis. And they would think, OK, great. We have more people to defend America and make America safer. Um, but now, Ben, there is this other claim. And again, Ramaz, uh, not Ramazwani, sorry, <laughs> DeSantis talked about it, too about how uh, cartels should be classified as terrorists and then using that as a reason why we should close the border. Yeah, I think this is a more serious charge and worth thinking about. And it's especially because there's no doubt in my mind that Cartels are involved in, in many of the disturbances at the border. They're obviously involved in the drug trade. That's what they do. I think because they're in the business of black market uh, exchange at the border, they also are involved in human trafficking, which is uh, threatening to a lot of people in a lot of different ways. And we know uh, that cartels are dangerous killers. No question about it. Now, does that make them terrorists? Well, a rational definition of terrorism that I once heard is something like an attempt by a subnational group to scare a population into social change through violence. And when I think about it, especially when I think about some of the tactics that are used by cartels in Mexico, uh, I think you can make an argument. You could, I, I don't know if I'm uh, completely in agreement with this argument, but it's at least a plausible argument that cartels might count as terrorist groups by that kind of definition. Now, that being said, it should go without saying that they are a very different, terrorism as a tactic 
that people use to achieve various different kinds of social change. It's a tactic. And it, it makes a difference, at least from the perspective of a foreign policy, what it is they're trying to achieve with this tactic. Uh, and it, it matters that what the cartels are trying to achieve is just a very different kind of thing than what Hamas is trying to achieve, than what Al-Qaeda was trying to achieve, than what ISIS was trying to achieve. Drug cartels are primarily interested in securing territory for the sake of, uh, of facilitating their trade in drugs and thereby making money. They're basically old-fashioned gangs that just want to get some cash and they enact terrible means to that end, but their end is fairly ordinary uh, from a criminal justice perspective. That's very different from what ISIS and Al-Qaeda and uh, Hamas want to achieve. They are Islamic fundamentalist terrorists who believe in a death-worshipping, irrational ideology where they themselves proclaim that we, that we love death more than the other side loves life. They're killers for the sake of killing. And terrorism in the hands of nihilistic death worshipers is a much greater and bigger threat than a violence committed by cartels. So that's the first thing to keep in mind. If you're thinking clearly about this, terrorism is at most the name for a tactic. It doesn't help you by itself assess the nature of the threat that you're thinking about. If you want to think clearly, you need to think about the goal that's, that the tactic is being used to achieve. And seen from that perspective, while you might make an argument that cartels engage in terrorist activity, they're not nearly the threat uh, that Islamic terrorists are for the reason that I just mentioned. And I should say, just by way of an aside, we could do a whole episode on this, Augustina. But I hope it should also go without saying, though unfortunately it doesn't, that the threat that the terrorists do, that the, the threat that the cartels do pose is a threat that is entirely enabled, entirely enabled by the American drug war, by the insane, unwinnable drug war, which is an attempt to prohibit a victimless crime an attempt to exercise paternalistic control over the decisions that adults make. And when you make drugs black market, you drive up the, uh, the price by artificially restricting the supply. Uh, you know, there are, there are probably legislators who support drug prohibition who are on the payroll uh, of the cartels because they know that if those laws were removed, they would entirely lose their corner on the market. We could, if we wanted to overnight shut down these cartels, cut off their lifeblood by legalizing drugs. Now that's a, that's a completely different topic <laughs> and it's a controversial proposal, but it's a little bit disingenuous to be so worried about national security threats like the ones that do come from the cartels when the solution there is not building a wall, it's ending the drug war. Yes, Ben, I agree. And you said, you know, drug use is a victimless crime and shouldn't be illegal. I can say the same about uh, immigrating to America. Uh, there is no crime there and it should be legal. Um, so that brings me to the next claim that we want to address, which is this claim that any mass movements of people uh, through a border threatens national sovereignty. So here I would like to give some 
context of why is it that people are crossing uh, the border illegally? So it seems this seems to be a context that is lost on a lot of people. Um, it seems, I don't know that they explicitly hold this view, but it seems from the way they talk about it or the way how they evade to address the reasons why people, why migrants are doing this is, you know, migrants are not crossing the desert, the river, risking their lives, jumping on a train that could mutilate them to just because it's fun, you know, just because it's the thrill of it and it's an adventure you know, to come to America when they could just, as some people say, just walk to the border and, and be asked to be and asked to be let in. Well, that is not how it works. Uh, people don't come to America in that way because it's fun. It is exactly the opposite of fun. It's, it's, a, it's, it's life threatening. As you cited some uh, statistic of people dying uh, at the border, close to the border. A lot more people die in, in Mexico and other countries before Mexico come trying to come to America. So why is it that people do this? Because the immigration system does not allow them to come legally. There is no way for them to come here, even temporarily in most cases. That path to them simply does not exist. Most people coming through the border are economic migrants people that come to America for economic opportunity, to work, to get a job, to uh, uh, be free and be, and, and be able to sustain their lives and sustain their families. And we have, you know, asylum seekers, but asylum is not designed for economic migrants. Asylum is an institution that is for people that have a credible fear of, of political persecution or religious persecution that does not apply to the vast majority of economic migrants that we have. Of course, we do have uh, uh, people applying for asylum for, this, for those reasons, but most of the people are coming here for the opportunities. And because the fact that uh, people in Central America are going to probably starve because they're going to be condemned to poverty forever and their children are going to be to condemned to poverty forever unless they, they move, that doesn't, you know, that is not a claim that that does not give them a reason to apply for asylum legally. So they cannot do that. So it is true that this chaos at the border, like we were saying earlier at the beginning, is true and is very severe and it absolutely needs to stop. But we also have to ask, why are these people coming here? And what are other solutions? Because we've never had a more, um, uh, we never had more border patrol agents. We have never had more resources spent at the border, and the problem isn't fixed, and in fact, it seems to be getting worse. So it is important to keep in mind that this is a, a, a consequence of, much like the, drug, uh, the war on drugs, this is a consequence of criminalizing immigration and not letting people, the people that are crossing the border come here legally. Of course, a lot of us immigrants have come here legally, and there are paths for some people, but for the vast majority of people, it is absolutely impossible to come to America to work. And again, this issue of calling uh, people who come to America to work in America, uh, calling them invaders is inaccurate, is dishonest. And again, it's uh, aimed at generating a, a fear mongering, like you said, Ben, and generating this hatred against migrants.
Um, and it's important, I think, to, to note that this issue with national sovereignty, you know, people crossing the border do so as individuals. They don't represent anybody by the, but themselves. They do not represent a state. They do not represent a regime. They do not represent any organization. So this is not like Hamas uh, terrorists crossing the border to Israel. This is people that are coming here to America to work. And how do we know they're coming here to America to work? Well, we have so much evidence that people that come to America legally or illegally come here to work. And they their criminality is much, much lower than that of even native-born Americans. And we see how many businesses they open, how much, uh, how much uh, they actually work in America and how much they just want to come here to America, not to destroy it, but to take advantage of all the opportunities and the freedom that America offers. Yeah, a couple of quick points and then my major point. One quick point, I see some discussion of this in one of the chat streams, uh, the allegation that the economic migrants are just coming for welfare. I think uh, you did a whole separate podcast on this subject that while that's you know, often true in Europe, it is, it is not nearly as true in the, uh, in North America as it is there. And that was how many, how many weeks ago did you do that one, Augustina? Um, we did that like a few months ago, like maybe four or five months, months ago. I'll clarify though. I think people are reacting to what they're seeing in New York city and other cities that sanctuary, uh, not sanctuary cities, um, uh, cities with right to shelter policies, but that is a, a completely separate discussion that we will actually have very soon on this podcast. Uh, but the, uh, the people, uh, migrants, immigrants in general, are severely restricted from getting welfare at the federal level, and most people ignore that fact. Yeah. Other quick point is: Do you remember when uh, conservatives and uh, Republicans were critics of the socialist regime in Venezuela and were champions for the people who were oppressed by Chavez and the socialists in Venezuela? Well a huge chunk of the people who are coming over from the border right now are refugees from Venezuela. And so that's when, when you talk about how they're not agents of a foreign regime, I don't think Hugo Chavez or Nicolas Maduro have some plan to invade America with all of the workers that they're losing. Now, these are people who are fleeing a socialist regime who you would think that critics of socialism would have some sympathy for and not regard as invaders. And yet they do, which is curious to think about. But then the major point I wanted to make about this national sovereignty issue is, I mean, it remains true that there's a severe problem at the border. I called it a humanitarian problem. But when you have an influx of so many people coming over at the same time in the same place, it is true that it causes instability, it causes anarchy, it makes it hard for the existing authority to govern. And so while I think most of them are not agents of a foreign government uh, who are trying to overthrow us or something like that, inadvertently, it does cause a problem with political authority and not just at the border, but, but wherever large masses of them show up internally. And that's relevant, that's relevant to government. Uh, and I want to make a more theoretical point here, which is that 
I mean, government does have a role in uh, protecting the border. The purpose of government is to defend individual rights. In Ayn Rand's view, that means it's got three major jobs. It has the job of running the police, it has the job of running the courts, and it has the job of running the military. And the major job of the military is to protect from foreign threats. Uh, so the clearest point to make about this is that, look, when you're at war, when there is a war between nations, you shut down the border. You don't just shut down the border. That's trivial at this point. I mean, you're massing forces at the border in order to fend off the foreign invaders, which is exactly what's happening right now between Israel and Hamas. Uh, so in time of war, there's, of course, no free immigration. Uh, for government to assume its primary responsibility of defending its citizens, it needs to protect the border. That's in time of war, not in time of peace. If you have a friendly nation that you are living next to, you, have, uh, you allow them in, you let them trade with you, you let them move. There is no shutdown of the kind that you have in wartime. Now, the fact is that, that a period of hot war and a period of blissful peace are not the only alternatives. It is, it is precisely not either or. There is a sliding scale between them. It's true that you either have war or you don't, but the ways of there not being a hot war are many and various. Uh, there are degrees of threat that we face from abroad. And it's the job of a rational foreign policy to assess the state of the threat that we are currently facing from not only our immediate neighbors, but from countries that are further away from us. And so the fact is that we are not in a hot war like they have between Israel and Hamas. We're also not in a state of perfect peace because we know that there are countries abroad like Iran, uh, like Saudi Arabia, like North Korea, which are overtly hostile to us. And we know that they are endeavoring to, uh, to destroy us in one way or another. And we also know that the political systems of our most immediate neighbors in Latin America, especially, have been destabilized. Uh, in no small part due to our own policies, such as, for example, the drug war, making it easier for there to be periods of anarchy, anarchy that can be taken advantage of by cartels uh, and even by more distant foreign hostile regimes. And so there is a role for government at the border to assess the threats that we face directly and indirectly at the border and to take appropriate measures uh, to guard against them. And so I, it is not the case that there's no role for the government at the border. There, there clearly is. But I think our major point today is that what we have today is not a hot war. It is not an invasion like we had in, in, in Israel. And if you want to know what is the best way to deal with that, you have to recognize the facts. You have to realize that there is a difference between a war and peace and that there are differences differences among the different degrees of threat that we face. And it's simply detached from reality to not look at these facts and try to understand them properly. And part of the problem, the biggest problem, I think, with this whole situation is 
the, the way the right is currently thinking about this, the way conservatives and, and Republicans are thinking about this, of saying, oh, our major problem is we've got to build a wall to keep out these terrorists at the border, is by encouraging us to focus at what's going on at the border, it causes us to ignore and evade the very real foreign threats that we face overseas, whether from Iran, whether from North Korea, whether from Russia. If we're seriously concerned about avoiding a terrorist threat, a military threat, uh, we have to be concerned with uprooting the nests of terrorists sponsoring states abroad. And this is a big part of the reason why ARI has recently been focused on the war in Israel. We spent the last, the better part of three weeks doing nothing but producing content about the danger of restricting Israel from its response to Hamas, the danger of evading the need to confront uh, Islamic totalitarianism, the danger of appeasing threats uh, in Saudi Arabia and, and elsewhere, which every single administration, conservative or liberal, has done for the last 50 years. And so none of the politicians want to talk about this. None of them want to confront the fact of the devastating consequences of their appeasement. They want to distract you by talking about the border because it's easy, it's perceptible. You can show pictures of, of walls and people crossing over borders. They don't want to talk about what an actual rational foreign policy would involve that would be necessary to actually avoid the real threats. And I think, I think that is the greatest travesty of this whole thing. And I use the word travesty in its literal meaning. It is, it is a dishonest evasion and, and it's fakery. It's an attempt to distract and dissemble from uh, the real issues at stake. That's right, Ben. And the, the, this, this focus on immigration the, and, and the fact that, that the system is, I, I think the immigration system is Part of the reason why we are the government is not focusing on the the real threats that they should be focusing on. So there is this whole immigration system designed, uh, but it is not designed to keep out national security threats. It is aimed at stopping economic migrants, the people who come to America to work. All those. People, those families that you see in the pictures that the right loves to, you know, post about it and say how responsible these parents are that are coming to America, crossing the border with their children. The immigration system is not designed to stop national security threats. It's designed to stop economic migrants. So uh, most resources try, uh, go to trying uh, to stop these people as opposed to the people that really should be stopped. But if those resources went to uh, screening for national security threats, like spies, like terrorists, foreign armies, etc., and stopping those people, America would be much, much safer than it is today. But instead, they are focused on stopping, uh, you know, the family that comes with uh, with their child for a better life in America, which is also so in conflict with what America means and what it means to pursue one's happiness. They're stopping people at the border that are coming here and risking everything so they can live the best life they can, the best life that they can see that they can live. They cannot do it at home. They're coming here because they want to do it in America because they, to some extent, and understand that America is the place to be if you want to pursue your happiness. And 
one thing that there is plenty of evidence for is that when migrants are given a legal way to come to America, they do that. They pursue the legal way. So uh, if we gave a, a migrants a legal way to come here, they will do so. And anyone that does not follow this legal way, because like I said earlier, almost impossible for the vast majority of people or impossible for the vast majority of people to immigrate here legally. If you gave people that opportunity, anyone that is trying to actually cross the border legally and undetected would raise massive red flags because you could ask, why didn't you do this legally? And then we could focus on those sort of threats as opposed to the people that come here to work. And there is evidence that when people uh, come to America, uh, they're giving a legal way to do that, they do that. So uh, one piece of evidence for this is the success of the CHNV program, which is um, an, initiative through, an initiative through which uh, Americans, American citizens can sponsor Ukrainians, Cubans, Haitians, Nicaraguans, and Venezuelans for a temporary uh, US residence, which is called parole. And it allows people to come here legally and live here legally and work for uh, two years at least. So in this figure that we see here, which um, I took from a, a study from the Cato Institute, we have the information in the image if you wanna go find it. We see that uh, the illegal uh, crossings from Venezuelans, Cubans, Haitians, and Nicaraguans, and then you see when the process uh, for Venezuelans start, their numbers dropped dramatically in October of 2022. And then when the process of Nicaraguans, Cubans, and Haitians starts in January of 2023, the numbers of people, of migrants from those nationalities crossing illegally drops significantly. And the, and the reason that you see that especially Venezuelans are, that later went up again is because there is a cap on the sponsorships and uh, about like 30,000 a month and you've created a backlog. So there are a lot of people that are being told to wait forever or they're told they cannot come. So they they end up having to come legally, which is more evidence that this is, that if you give them a chance to come legally, they will. So what needs to happen, I think, is we need to open up more legal pathways for individuals to come to America legally, safely, and in an orderly way. So we can start getting rid of this mess at the at the border. And also, I think that what uh, opening up legal pathways for migrants to come to United, to United States also allows the US government to know who is coming in and allows for screening for security threats, all these criminals, terrorists, spies, and whatever. And this would allow to screen for actual threats. And like you said, Ben, screening for actual threats is a legitimate role of the US government in immigration. But when you don't have a system that is optimized for doing that, it is very hard to do. And like you said, uh, the people that are concerned about you know, people crossing the border, I think they should be really focusing on what matters is that their resources are going to stopping uh, economic migrants and not actual threats. And I wanna also like now make something very clear. So. We haven't seen any terrorist attack committed uh, by someone who crossed the US-Mexico border, right? As we said earlier, no Americans have died in such an attack. But is that possible? Can that happen? I think that it can happen. It is not impossible because the United States, is, uh, the, the immigration system is so focused on stopping these economic migrants. 
that you know among these large influx of people, a bad actor could potentially infiltrate. But like I've been saying, the solution, unlike what most people are claiming, is not to close the border, but to allow more legal immigration. Legal immigration that will allow to actually screen for security threats. So I think the point really to drive home here is, is it possible that it could happen? Yes, I think it is possible. But if an attack occurs in the United States by someone who entered illegally through the southern border, it will be the fault of the border controls that focus on stopping the economic migrants as opposed to actually focusing on actual threats to US national security. And I think that Americans should understand this and they should be absolutely outraged that these border controls and other tax money and the US immigration system in general is focused on stopping peaceful and hardworking people from working in America instead of focusing on protecting America from actual danger. So I think that is very important to, to clarify and to put the, if any of these things actually happens, because like I said, it is highly unlikely, but it is possible. I think we need to understand really who is to blame here. I, I, Augustine, I think this point of yours is so important and so good that I just I want to I want to uh, amplify what you're saying so much that it's if if the if the majority of the border controls are there for economic reasons and not security, uh, then think just think about what we could accomplish with security if we if we eliminated or even just reduced the degree of economic controls, the protectionist controls that are there to stop Mexicans from taking jobs and poured all those resources just into trying to find the terrorists, into, into, into guarding the border just for the very few people who would then try to sneak across as opposed to the masses of people who now we obviously can't control. And, and as a way to concretize this point, let me make the following provocative point which might surprise some people. So you see, because I'm, I'm not actually philosophically opposed to the idea of border fences and walls. Uh, I don't think there's an objectivist position on this. I don't think Ayn Rand had a position on this. I know that objectivists disagree and debate with each other about this kind of thing. And you can debate about what the appropriate thing would be in an ideal condition, whether you had laissez-faire capitalism around the world versus in a mixed condition, whatever. But it's true that the government has a role for defending the border and the property of the people living along the border. And like I said, there's a sliding scale between war and peace. And there is a real short-term problem that we're facing right now. And maybe primarily for the sake of protecting the property of the people who live at the border, fences and walls could be a part of that. Uh, but to really underscore what you're saying, Augustina, you could take all the resources that are being put into stopping people from working in this country and pour them into fences and, and border walls that were aimed at keeping out terrorists. And you would do a much better job keeping out any potential terrorists. That's to make a point rhetorically. The overall point is that it is just madness uh, to think that, that walls and fences are the real solution to this problem to the actual problem of terrorist and other security threats when we have a 1900 mile border 
when a much better fortified fence could not keep out Hamas terrorists, and when there are so many more obvious and immediate threats to our national security that the politicians who are talking about border walls don't want to talk about because they're too cowardly to talk about doing the things that are actually necessary to stop this threat. Yes, I see a lot of concern about alleged terrorists crossing the borders and little concern with where would they be coming from if they were actually crossing and why were they here? Like this refusal of America to defeat its enemies is something that these, I, I see very little conversation about that and a lot of conversation about these alleged terrorists at the border. But one last thing I'd like to say is this is not a, uh, it's a simple solution in a way, but it's not an easy solution because our immigration system is designed, like I said, to keep economic migrants out to keep peaceful, hardworking people out. So what needs to happen here is a massive, it's not a reform of the system and see, can we allow a little bit more people here or these parole programs that while I think they are successful and they're, and, and they're in this context, a, a good idea, they are just band-aids, right? So what needs to happen here is that we don't need to reform the system. We need to rethink the immigration system entirely and change the entire premise of the system to allow for people who are hardworking and want to and, and, and come here peacefully to get to America safely and orderly. But one last point I want to make is we've been talking a lot about, you know, how uh, letting people in legally, we uh, would allow for uh, for screening and all of that. But that is not the only reason to have freer immigration. So we shouldn't have freer immigration just to avoid it. You know, the terrorists and the, the spies sneaking in. We should have freer immigration because it's a huge, massive positive for America, including by the fact that uh, immigration actually helps with national security. And I did a podcast with On Cargate uh, a, a few months ago on this very issue. Imagine having the best minds in the world thinking about how to make America safer. Imagine, like I said earlier, all these military-aged men that are crossing the border enlisted in the, in the army in case we, we need that. So the reason to have immigration is not to avoid these negatives. Like, okay, if we don't have free immigration, the, the terrorists are going to come in. No, the reason is that... Uh, Immigration is a, it's an absolute positive for America. And it, the, we need immigration to make America more prosperous and we, need, uh, and we need immigration to make America safer. And the policy of free immigration is a policy that is consistent with the protection of individual rights of Americans in national security issues, but in many other issues as well, and the rights of immigrants as well. So again, we shouldn't see immigrants as threats like most people on the right see the immigrants. And they shouldn't, we should not see immigrants as poor little people that you need our help and they cannot fend for themselves like the left sees the immigrants. We should see the immigrants as the individuals that are uh, our allies and that they will become new Americans who will help make America much safer and much more prosperous. Your argument is irrefutable, Augustina. That's all I have to say. All right. So I think we have uh, talked a lot about this uh, topic, Ben. 
and um, I just want to direct people to some resources that they may want to uh, look at to learn more about um, what we just discussed. So, like I just mentioned, I did an episode with Ankar Gatte some time ago on the debate about uh, around national security and immigration. Uh, we address how mostly the anti-immigrant camp talks about this, but also about uh, the, the benefits, some of the benefits that immigration brings when it comes to national security. And related to the point that you stressed, uh, Ben, about America defeating its enemies and how it has failed to do so, and why we're talking about terrorists at this point, is uh, the book, uh, uh, ARI's book, Failing to Confront uh, Islamic Totalitarianism, edited by Elan Journal. And related to foreign policy issues, I want to highlight that ARI has been uh, has been working, like like you said, Ben, we've been working really hard on this issue uh, of the terrorist attacks on Israel and Hamas and the war that is currently ensuing. And we're starting a series of episodes, special episodes that are going to be released weekly on uh, the Israel-Hamas war in addition to our weekly schedule. So to our audience, please stay tuned and you will start seeing those episodes uh, come out in addition to the regular weekly episodes that we do for New Idea Live. Um, and then another interesting thing we are doing is we are uh, doing our Q&A, as some of people that have been following us uh, for a long time may know, we do Q&A episodes, but we did them, you know, sometimes we did them, sometimes we didn't, but now we are having scheduled Q&A episodes monthly. So please send your questions about objectivism or about issues that you uh, have questions about how the objectivist philosophy would apply to. Just send it to us to newideal.ainrand.org and uh, we will consider them for uh, for these episodes. I don't know if you want to expand on that, Ben. No, you got it. Um, and as usual, if you enjoy this podcast, please subscribe uh, to our channel on YouTube or wherever you're listening uh, in your podcast, favorite podcast platform. And uh, please share, like, send it to your friends. Uh, and again, if you have questions, comments about the episode, you can send them to newideal at einrand.org. Uh, thank you uh, so much to everyone that uh, watched us today. Thanks for the super chats for those that, uh, that did super chats. And we will see you again very soon. You've been listening to New Ideal, a podcast from the Ayn Rand Institute. If you like what you hear, leave us a review, share with a friend, and subscribe to our other podcasts. This podcast was made possible by donors to the Ayn Rand Institute. Help support this podcast by becoming an ARI member. Go to aynrand.org forward slash membership.